Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, sexuality, spirituality, how we all got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, doubters, activists, and writers in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. I'm your host, Gary Allen, and welcome to Holy Heretics. Welcome to Season 2 of the Holy Heretics Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Allen, and I'm incredibly excited to kick off a new season, a new direction for the show. We have some incredible guests lined up, including Brian Zahn, Lisa Sharon Harper, Danielle Schroyer, Randy Woodley, and, and a host of others. Um, and this season is is all going to be about recovery. It's going to be about moving forward about what does life and faith look like after evangelicalism. If you join Mel and I for season one, you know that we spent the entire first season deconstructing evangelical fundamentalism. And we started by critiquing purity culture, patriarchy, right-wing politics, Christian nationalism, spiritual abuse, homophobia, biblical inerrancy, all of the things that, in my opinion, led to some serious trauma and spiritual abuse uh, for most of us if you grew up in the evangelical church. And as we move forward into season two, we're going to build from that foundation by making the next logical step, which is twofold, as I said. First, we're going to recover from evangelicalism, because I do think that there is a stage that all of us need to pause and simply heal, be restored, and recover. But second, we're going to begin reconstructing a new spiritual path um, after evangelicalism, and and not just a new spiritual path, uh, a new life, because there is life uh, anew, afresh, after you leave evangelicalism. There, there truly is. But before we do that, I want to pause and share some personal news and some, honestly, some sad news. If you're a regular listener of the show, you remember that Melanie, our co-founder of the Sophia Society, co-host and producer of Holy Heretics, joined me for the entire season one. Um, unfortunately, my dear friend is no longer sitting across uh, the mic from me. Um, after several weeks of praying and discerning her own path, Amel is taking a much-needed break from the deconstruction community to heal, to restore, and to renew her soul. And I will say that living out your faith deconstruction in real time in public, while also absorbing all the pain and the trauma from others in this same space, can really be uh, draining and, and honestly just exhausting. And so... I'm proud of Melanie for taking the necessary steps to heal, uh, to restore, to care for herself, and to step aside for a while. Because this isn't necessarily an easy place to be when you're deconstructing faith yourself. So, Mel, I know you're listening, and uh, I hope you know how much you will be missed. And I, I hope you know just how much of an honor it has been to uh, go on this journey with you to start the Sophia Society together, to, to cut our teeth on this podcast. And I hope you know you are always welcome uh, back in this space with us. So love you and miss you. So as I said, this season of Holy Heretics is all about recovery and reconstruction. Recovering first from the trauma, from the suffering, the pain, even the learned helplessness of conservative American evangelicalism. 
And if you've ever been a part of a recovery program, uh, whether it be recovering from addiction or from trauma, you know that it's all about healing the underlying conditions that led to the suffering in the first place. And in a way, leaving Christian fundamentalism truly is a bit like recovering from an addiction or healing from trauma. It's going to take a long time to peel back the layers of resentment, the habits, the conditioned behaviors that honestly no longer serve any of us well in order to move forward into your own spiritual awakening. So this path of recovery that we're going to introduce today is going to be a slow process, step by step, as you begin to move toward liberation and move toward freedom. And when you start out, your heart is probably filled, like mine, with a lot of resentment. It's polluted with anger and rage and fear. And what deconstruction does is it actually allows for the space to heal all of those places in your heart and your soul so you can move forward. To fully recover from evangelicalism, we must first accept that we've been in a great deal of pain for a long time and that that pain has actually not only affected us, it's affected others. And I hope that all of us will commit to a complete renunciation of our past lives of faith, of those past communities. And no matter how familiar it feels to go back, no matter all the voices uh, from your friends and family inviting you back into those spaces, inviting you back into those places, we just can't ever return. We can't ever return because those places weren't safe in the first place. And addicts understand this. Um, addicts understand that if they are going to recover from their heroin addiction or from alcoholism or for, from sex addiction, they must completely renounce and disrupt and disorient all the people and the places and the things that led them down the road of addiction. And I think the same is true for faith deconstruction. And I don't want to overstate this. But I do think that all of us are going to need new friends. We're going to need new places, maybe a new church if you go back to church, a new community, new spiritual practices, and even new daily habits that allow you to carve out a new spiritual path, allow you to find freedom, allow you to find liberation. And it's not simply enough to just kind of sweep the house clean and, and renounce everything. At some point, we have to start putting something else there in its place. And so what is the spiritual path that you're going to pursue? Where are you going to go from here? Where is your heart leading you? Most of us began deconstructing evangelicalism with just one goal in mind. Uh, it was to end the suffering that has been plaguing us for, for years. And if we're honest, we need to admit that evangelicalism, especially in America these days, is a dominator religion. It seeks to control everything about you and honestly, even the culture at large. And this has caused incredible amount of suffering. And personally, whether that suffering was self-hatred or authoritarianism or the endless pursuit of certainty or maybe even a fetish-like compulsion to control your own sexuality, even maybe the, the fear of eternal damnation, all of those things created internal, personal, and corporate suffering. And my guess is you joined the deconstruction community because you had enough wisdom to start seeking a new way. You had enough wisdom to just get out. So in many ways, you've, you've already taken the first step toward your own personal awakening. 
that recovery has already begun. And as you begin that journey, I'd love for you to just pause and ask yourself a question, maybe a question that that might come back up uh, over the next several days. And that question is this, who were you before evangelical fundamentalism got to you? And how do you uncover that part of you that hasn't been traumatized by this dominator religion? To help answer that question, I want to suggest the five noble truths of deconstruction. And I hope that these noble truths will provide a pathway for healing, for recovery, for health, and eventually, uh, if we get that far, toward reconciliation and reconstruction. And I think pausing to understand these five noble truths at least provides us the space to understand where we are today, where we are and where we want to go and how, how do we get there. So the first noble truth of leaving evangelicalism is deconstruction is the public act of spiritual lament. Well, that's kind of a there's a lot there, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say it again. Deconstruction is the public act of spiritual lament. Well, what do I mean by that? Lament is really simply just the passionate and often public expression of grief and sorrow. It's having the courage, it's having the audacity to name wrongs, to name names, to name evils, and to cry out for justice in in the face of injustice. Lament is the ancestral cry of the ancient Israelites wailing in Egyptian captivity, asking, how long, O Lord? How long do we have to bear the rod of our oppressors? Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that one-third of the 150 psalms are actually psalms of lament, complaint, and protest. And these are psalms of disorientation. Uh, They're psalms that refuse to deny the language and power of lament because without lament, we live in denial. Without lament, we can't move forward. Without lament, we can't heal. And so we cry out. We voice the pain. We voice the abuse. We, we say what was actually hurting us in the first place. And I think that's a critical step in your deconstruction process. But here's the weird thing. If and when you do this, whether it's on social media, whether it's to a family member, maybe it's whether to a former pastor, you are going to get pushback. Because when you cry out, when you expose evil, when you detail the layers of abuse that is evangelicalism, the status quo will push back. They will respond with, <laughs> with a vengeance. They'll tell you to watch your tone or you sound angry. And in so doing, they're not only tone policing, but they're also trying to control the narrative. They're trying to tell us how and when we get to voice our frustrations. It's a bit like the white moderate during segregation who went to MLK and said, okay, sure, maybe things aren't all that great for you guys, but can you not march that way? Can you not protest so loudly? Can you do that behind closed doors? Why? Because they wanted to control the narrative and they actually wanted to maintain the status quo. But we refuse to give them power. We refuse to give them the power to silence us. So we lament, we cry out. Latasha Morrison in her book, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation writes, to lament means to express sorrow or regret. 
Lamenting something horrific that has taken place allows a deep connection to form between the person lamenting and the harm that was done. And that emotional connection is the first step in creating a pathway for healing and hope. So the first noble truth of life after evangelicalism is that deconstruction is the public act of spiritual lament. The second noble truth is deconstruction is the pursuit of truth. Deconstruction is the pursuit of truth. Now, I know that if you grew up in the apologetics movement or uh, if you were part of you know any kind of worldview curriculum like I was, you know that the word truth has been hijacked as hell by uh, right-wing evangelicals, right? So it's, it's all about pursuing truth, speaking truth in love. Um, so, so I just kind of repel personally a little bit when I hear the word truth because I think it has been so um, – it's just been so tainted for many of us. But have you ever paused to consider just how much of evangelical Christianity is actually built on a cascading foundation of lies? All of the lies that we were told that, that were true actually don't turn out to be so true. Alvin Boyd Kuhn, in his groundbreaking book, A Rebirth for Christianity, writes, Christianity has persistently claimed that it is the one true religion among all other faiths. Yet the sad fact is that more untruths have been promulgated in its name than by any other major religion in the civilized world. I mean, just let, let that sink in for a bit. And I don't say this to discredit Christianity at all. What I'm saying is that I think many of us have been given a secondhand religion that actually looks nothing like the founder of our faith in the first place. I mean, just stop and think about some of the core beliefs that you were given as a kid in the church that are actually not true. Original sin, biblical inerrancy, patriarchy, female submission, sola scriptura, six-day creation, eternal damnation, culture warring, purity culture, Islamophobia, homophobia. I could go on, but you can do the exercise yourself. So maybe over the next several days, just begin to process some of those truths that were handed down to you. And determine if they're true or if they're actually based on lies. Because when we begin to deconstruct evangelicalism, we really do understand that we are pursuing truth no matter how hard it will be. Because truth is, is revolutionary and it is freeing. Jesus is, of course, claimed to say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Maybe that's the reason why those in, in power routinely lie to us. So the second noble truth of life after evangelicalism, of recovering from evangelicalism, and I, I use those interchangeably, is deconstruction is the pursuit of truth. The third noble truth is deconstruction can end your spiritual suffering. Deconstruction can end your spiritual suffering. The foundation of our recovery from evangelicalism is a complete admission of the suffering that we've experienced and oftentimes caused through our involvement in Christian fundamentalism. And I will say that I think many of us came into this very innocently. We didn't even know we were being harmed. We didn't even know maybe that we were harming others in the process. But evangelicalism really does cause suffering. Scientist Kristen Hovitz research reveals just how dangerous it is, uh, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Her studies have uncovered a new disorder called RTS, or Religious Trauma Syndrome, 
And much like PTSD, RTS is proven to produce identity confusion, eating disorders, sleep disorders, depression, anxiety, even substance abuse. Hovit claims, after so many years of church and church authorities providing the answers to all of life's questions within an environment that condemns voicing doubts regarding matters of faith, the person who leaves often feels psychologically and mentally stunted and incapable of making life decisions. In a very real way, they must recreate their identities from scratch. This core uncertainty and brokenness forms the basis of RTS. Now, I have no idea if you have RTS. I think if that's something that you think you might have, I would encourage you to see a therapist or a counselor or talk to a friend uh, if you're exhibiting some of these uh, maladaptive coping mechanisms. But I do think it is very true that most of us who leave evangelical fundamentalism suddenly find ourselves not knowing who we are. There's a new identity um, that you're going to have to create because everything that you've known about God, about church, about family, about community, even about yourself has suddenly been pulled out from under you. And it, it's a difficult time to, to, to actually figure out how do I recreate my identity post this, this, this issue. But I do want to go back um, to the whole notion of suffering and the idea that evangelicalism at its root cause is suffering. I, I don't know what that suffering looked like for you. It could have been forced isolation. It could have been maybe a self-imposed persecution complex. It could have been the fear and terror of eternal damnation. It could have been if you're um, a member of the LGBTQIA plus community that you were kicked out of your home, that you were told you weren't welcome, that you were told that you had to renounce your sexuality, that you had to renounce who you were, who actually God made you to be in order to be accepted. And so if that happened to you, I, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Um, those are real. That's real abuse. That's real suffering. That's real trauma. And all of us have our own story to tell, our own version of what that trauma looks like. You know, I remember being told that college professors were out to get me. They were going to destroy our faith, that homosexuals were lurking in the dark corners of the world, ready to steal our children, that Democrats. Democrats, for God's sakes, would take over the nation and turn us into godless anarchists. It's it's incredibly ironic then to have watched Republican conservative evangelicals try to take over the United States in a white terrorist insurrection. I mean, I mean think about that for a second. If you grew up in evangelicalism, you were told the other side they're going to take over, right? They're going to they're going to assume authoritarian power. And on January 6th, we actually watched the opposite take place. So we can laugh at all of the absurdity of that now, but I mean, that shit was real. And if you were a part of that community, you carry some of the burden, you carry some of the suffering with that. And this suffering isn't just personal. It's it's also very corporate and and public. Look at the public discourse taking place today in the world around uh, the vaccine, around the COVID-19 pandemic, around things like immigration or guns or war or Black Lives Matter. It seems like that in on almost 
every social justice issue, evangelicals are on the wrong side of history. They're anti-science. They're anti-vax. They believe the election has been stolen. They were the first ones to to stand up and and repudiate the Black Lives Matter movement. They don't want critical race theory taught in public schools. 81% of white evangelicals voted for a thrice-married adulterer who paid off a porn star who also tried to overthrow the government. I mean, what world do we live in that that is normal, that that is okay? All of that has caused personal and public and now national suffering um, that we're that we're all recovering from. So when you begin to deconstruct, just know that you are carrying tons of baggage with you, but the journey out will lead to hopefully um, an end to that spiritual suffering. The fourth truth of life after evangelicalism, of recovering from evangelicalism, is deconstruction is an ancient spiritual practice. This isn't a new fad that just millennials and Gen Z kids are doing. This is an ancient spiritual practice that followers of Christ have been pursuing and doing for thousands of years. My friend Eugene Kim with the New Wine Collective posted a, a quote by author Phyllis Tickle the other day on social media, and in it it read, About every 500 years, the empowered structures of institutionalized Christianity, whatever they may be at that time, become an intolerable carapace or hard shell that must be shattered in order that renewal and new growth may occur. And right on time, 500 years after Martin Luther's Reformation, deconstruction has commenced again. We're, we're, I think we're experiencing a, a second great reformation of the church. Now, I don't know where it's going to go, but I do think that people are realizing that the way things are cannot continue. And when we look back at church history, even the entire story of the church was written by those asking hard questions, challenging normative religion, and pushing faith forward. Jesus deconstructed the strict legalism and oppressive purity culture of Judaism. Clement and Origen called for a more mystical, open expression of faith. And there, there's a host of early Christians who, especially post-Constantine, who began to push back on normative institutional religion. My favorite of these were the mystics, the, the desert mothers and fathers, who in the fourth century fled a church that had gotten in bed with the Roman Empire to seek a less corrupted Christianity. And for those of us who may not know uh, church history all that well, when the Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, suddenly the, the church moved up from the catacombs up to the seats of power and Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, and it changed the DNA of the church almost overnight. Once a subversive movement of social and political radicals and outcasts, Christians now became uh, the rich, the powerful, the politically motivated, the ones who were trying to make Rome great again. I mean, it sounds kind of familiar, right? And it's amazing how much uh, we are mirroring the 4th century even today and how much 4th century Christianity looks a lot like 21st century evangelicalism. The 
early followers of Christ were known as being peaceful, non-aggressive. They lived on the margins of society for 300 years. And now they suddenly find themselves bearing arms for the emperor, storming the seats of power. And the persecuted became the persecutors. The cross, once a symbol of torture and shame, became the imperial icon of conquest. So that was the stage that was set for the first deconstructionist. Uh, These early church mothers and fathers who fled this corrupted faith for the deserts of Palestine and Syria and Egypt and Arabia. And in so doing, they rejected authoritative institutional Christianity for a much freer faith, one rooted in personal experience, in meditation, in community, and, and even mysticism. Thomas Merton talks about them in one of his books, and he says, these early desert mothers and fathers, they sought a way to God that was uncharted and freely chosen, not inherited from others who had mapped it out beforehand. And I really think that this is the pursuit of firsthand spirituality. And it's a pursuit that I hope that you and I are both on uh, as, as we move forward. So contrary to what the Gospel Coalition might tell you and contrary what to what Christianity Today uh, told us on the Mars Hill uh, podcast. Deconstruction isn't new. It's not cool. It's not pr- some progressive fad. It is an ancient tradition created by individuals who refused to be colonized by dominator religion and by those who knew the difference between a religion seeking imposed conformity and a free faith that allowed everyone to find and experience God in their own way and on their own terms. And just so you know, especially if you just jumped into the deconstruction space, you're probably going to be doing this for the rest of your life, that this cycle of deconstruction will continue. Once you arrive at one spiritual place, you're going to probably come back and have to start over, no matter how healthy it is, no matter how great it might seem. I I left evangelicalism to be confirmed as an Episcopalian, and it's a pretty progressive, liberal place that we're in, but I don't think it's the end. I don't think I'm going to potentially stay there for the rest of my life. There will be something new, something different, a new path that will be born out of even this new path. So just rest in the fact that you've got a long journey ahead, Um, and as soon as you arrive somewhere, you might have to restart again. And the fifth uh, noble truth of life after evangelicalism and recovering from evangelicalism is deconstruction is an invitation to embark on spiritual pilgrimage. Deconstruction is an invitation to embark on spiritual pilgrimage. Now, I know the word pilgrimage is not cool at all. Um, It actually sounds like boring as hell, but that's what we're doing. We are on a quest to find God, to experience the divine, to come face to face with the sacred. That's what a that's what a pilgrimage is all about. Abraham Joshua Heschel in his book The Sabbath writes, Faith is not the clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. It's a journey that we are all on as we move through the desert of deconstruction. In February of 2020, uh, just a couple of weeks before COVID shut the world down, right when Melanie and I were kind of trying to figure out what was next, we had both just walked out of a pretty toxic 
conservative evangelical organization where we had given our lives to, our hearts to, and it just kind of all ended in tears. Um, it was tragic, actually. It was incredibly traumatic, probably the most traumatic experience that I've ever gone through um, watching friends and, and colleagues um, in many ways betray you. So I walked out of there, Melanie walked out of there, and we were both discerning what was next for us and uh, wanting to potentially start the Sophia Society. Didn't even have a name for it yet. But, you know, like what's next? And so to help me move forward, uh, the day after I walked out of that organization, I jumped on a plane, flew to London, and I spent a couple of weeks in a monastery uh, right in the heart of London with one monk and, a, and three 70-year-old nuns. And it was a time of healing. It was a time of restoration. It was a time of like, what the hell's next? And I got up early and I prayed with them in the morning and we had a simple breakfast. And then they would go out uh, into the streets of London and serve the poor and go to soup kitchens. And, and I took that as time for me to go on my own spiritual quest. Um, and so I went to places like St. Paul's Cathedral and Westminster Abbey and, and my favorite church in London, which is actually the oldest, uh, St. Bartholomew the Great, which is this hauntingly ancient church, the oldest parish church in London. It actually survived the Great Fire. What's fascinating is that uh, St. Bart's was actually founded by a pilgrim, Rahir, some 900 years ago. It's the place where William Wallace was executed. I mean, it's that damn old. And so I spent this incredible time just going from sacred site to sacred site, going down to Canterbury Cathedral, seeing where Thomas Becket was martyred, kneeling where pilgrims had sojourned for hundreds of years to a place where um, the point in the high altar of the cathedral where Thomas Becket's shrine was, there is an indentation in the floor after hundreds of years of pilgrims kneeling there. And just experiencing that, participating in that was breathtaking. It was beautiful. It was freeing. It, it reminded me that there is a faith and a spirituality outside of the confines of evangelical Christianity. And so on the last night I was there, um, I went back into St. Paul's Cathedral, um, Christopher Wren's masterpiece, and went to Evensong. And I'm sitting there in Evensong, and, and if you've ever been to a, one of these incredible cathedrals in Europe, you, you realize like no one's there. No one goes to church anymore. Um it's mostly filled with tourists, and then they do have nightly uh, services that are pretty quick, just some songs and some prayers. And And if you're a tourist and you get stuck in there, you almost have to sit down and, and participate in the worship, which is kind of funny. And so we're in this incredible cathedral, and there's maybe 15 people there experiencing worship. And it's the last night of my pilgrimage. The next morning, I'm heading home. I'm getting on a plane and flying back to Colorado to no job no income, uh, no future, and I no friends. I mean, it, it, it suddenly hit me that life was about to happen to me. And I'm, I'm sitting there at the end of my pilgrimage and at the end of Evensong, actually terrified. And the priest uh, comes up for the final prayer and he does his normal collect, uh, the normal 
prayer that was in the Book of Common Prayer for that day. And at the very end, he said, and God, please be with those who are unemployed and those who have been betrayed by their friends. And I lost it. I, I burst into tears. And for a minute there, I thought, oh, my God, I think God is real because I don't think that was in the script. I just came face to face with the divine. That was worth the trip. And I'll never forget that moment because I felt like that someone had actually finally heard me, that they had seen me, that they knew what I was about to go through. And it was amazing. It was transformative. And and I hope that that is something that that you will experience as you journey through uh, deconstruction, as you embark on your own spiritual pilgrimage, as you set out from home on a quest to find God, to, to seek the divine, to come face to face with the holy. I hope you will experience like just a tiny nugget of the divine beauty touching you in a moment that simple and that profound. In Brendan Ellis Williams' poetic book, Seeds from the Wild Verge, he quotes British novelist and poet D.H. Lawrence, who in 1924 said, the adventure has gone out of Christianity. And Williams goes on to write, we stand now in the final hours, perhaps the final moments of the church, of its twilight. And the adventure having long passed out of it, there seems to be very little worth preserving. But we must start out on a new venture, a new quest, a new pilgrimage toward God. A pilgrimage of, of the heart that hopefully leads to deep interior transformation as we potentially come face to face with the divine. So deconstruction is more than a sightseeing tour. It's more than a journey out into the unknown. It is a quest to encounter God. And in many ways, it's, it's our quest to go back to God in the first place. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century wrote, The whole life of man is a return journey to God. We came from God, and we must go back to God. The more complete our return, the more intimate our union with God. So to help you on your journey of reconstruction, to help you on your quest, this season we're going to bring artists and activists and priests and poets and scholars and seekers to the Holy Heretics podcast to offer us a glimpse into a way forward, a path forward. Not just deconstructing, not just crapping on everything that went behind, but as I said in Lament, there is a, a need for that. But we're inviting you to go with us. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what path we're going to choose, but we're going to offer you several paths, several conversations that invite us to see God in new ways, that invite us to see ourselves in new ways, that invite us to see the world in new ways. So we want to go with you. We want to be sojourners with you in your journey back to God, free from dogma, free from certitude, free from fundamentalism. So as we move into season two, uh, I want to leave you with an excerpt from a poem from my favorite modern poet, Mary Oliver. And this is taken from her poem, The Journey. 
And may it nourish you, may it give you peace, and may it give you comfort as you set out on your own quest. As she writes, You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough in a wild night in the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds. And there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Thanks for joining us on this journey. It's incredible to be with you and incredible to share this sacred space with you. I look forward to several conversations as we embark on our own quest to find God. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. 